Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. According to the latest numbers, the world's largest theater chain, AMC Entertainment, lost $4.6 billion in 2020. And experts say it could take up to 10 large popcorns to make it back. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, boy. I was doing so good about avoiding carbs for such a long time, and Judy brought to start bringing this popcorn into the house. Like bagged, it's it's called Smart Pop or Good Pop I or love Healthy it. Pop or something w- like that. W- what is it called, Michael? Oh. It's uh, I think it's Smart Food. Uh, yeah, what, Smart Food, something like that. But white cheddar it? popcorn. What's the smart part? I don't know. <laughs> it's delicious. I'm connected to the internet. I'm though. connected to the internet. I got crackheads walking past my house saying that's pathetic. <laughs> He's got no self-control. <laughs> what are the carbs in the... I thought popcorn... is. What's popcorn? Is it carbs? It's corn. It's... Yeah, it's... it's yeah, it's carby. But it's got plenty it, of fiber and stuff, too. It's it's not bad for you. But is this, like, got sugar on it or caramel or chocolate or... Uh, no, it's just kind of a buttery flavored. <laughs> I get the white cheddar version. cranked out by DuPont that taste vaguely like butter. I should probably shouldn't mention that. <laughs> we do the Orville. Since I mentioned a specific brand. I think we do the Orville uh, microwave Red, popcorn. Redenbacher? Yeah. And uh, we like it that a lot. Beloved advertising icon of the 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, still a good popcorn, though. Um, Lan He Chen, later this hour, he is one of the best policy political thinkers, Worked has worked on a number of um, presidential campaigns, Harvard Law grad, Stanford teacher, Sort of guy. Straight and, shooter. And uh, we'll talk to him later about something. I'm not sure what. Um, long article, as always, in huh. The Atlantic. Although, but you repeat yourself. we were just yeah. discussing a little bit ago, the number of publications that now you can play their articles. I was doing this the other day with a New Yorker article, Dexter Filkins, who's the greatest reporter on the, like, the wars in the Middle East and stuff that exists. But anyway, I don't have time to read these things, but I can, uh, I can click on the article and have it read to me. And that's just awesome. That is kind of cool. When did that become a thing? Anyway, I need to do that more. I never do that. Yeah. I, yeah. I just discovered it fairly recently and, and not every publication does it, but really, really great. Look at me, using my eyes like a sucker, shoveling popcorn in my mouth. America Without God is the article in The Atlantic. As religious faith has declined, ideological intensity has risen. Will the quest for secular redemption through politics doom the American idea? The answer is yes. I don't know why this article had to be so long. (laughs) There, he answered it. From 1937 to 1998, church membership remained relatively constant at about 70%. I did not know that. That From is very interesting. 37 to 98, hung around 70%. Then something happened. Over the past two decades, that number has dropped to less than 50%. The sharpest recorded decline in American history. Meanwhile, the and nuns... In a, in a very short time, too. Especially given the fact that it stayed at 70% through the Depression, World War II... The boom of the fifties, the Vietnam War, the 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 set, everything that was going on in all these different decades, right? It stayed the same. Disco, disco, it, it survived uh, disco, <laughs> the godless disco era. <laughs> Drive you straight to Satan, right into his red leathery arms. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, the nuns, N O N E S. 
Atheists, agnostics, and those claiming no religion has grown rapidly and today represent a quarter of the population. By the way, I don't know if you would get from television, we were talking about this last hour, I don't know if you would get from TV that half the country still regularly attends church. You wouldn't get that through the media. No. That's just a tiny group of weirdos who are probably Trump fans. Wow. Not half the country. I wish I had the time and or staff to actually pursue the answer to this question. When was the last time... Any any popular drama or comedy portrayed a family going to church on the television. You know, my kids watch them where they do that, and it's almost always the sitcoms that are black families. Hmm. There's a couple of like Netflix sitcom sitcoms made for kids that they watch yeah. that uh-huh. are really wholesome, but they're 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 all about the you know we just got back from church and now we're having Sunday dinner like I grew up. Um, yeah. That's that's a weird thing. I wonder how many other people are like me. I grew up going to church. I wish my kids were growing up going to church, but they aren't. Yeah. I can't really explain that. I mean, obviously, I'm in charge. My wife and I are in charge. We could do that, and she wouldn't fight me on that. Um, I wish they were, but they're not. I wonder how many people are like that. Yeah, this conversation makes me uncomfortable because I was mostly in the same boat. Uh, for most of my kids' childhoods, and I don't feel great about it. I can't, I even, explain that in my, I can't it. even explain that in my own head, though. If you wish they were, if you think it's important, why aren't you doing it? I don't I don't even know. Mm. Anyway, back to this. I wonder how many people fit into that category, though. Um, if secularists hope that declining religiosity would make for more rational politics, drained of faiths and flaming passions, which is a lot of what you heard back in the day, they're likely to be disappointed. American faith, it turns out, is as fervent as ever. It's just that what was once religious belief has now been channeled into political belief. Duh. Uh, more on that in a second after we tell you all about Simply Safe. Oh, yeah. Whether it's your home or your, your art studio or your workshop where your tools are, your band's rehearsal space, you want to keep your home and your stuff and your family safe from break ins, fire, flooding, and medical emergency. Simply Safe Home Security delivers award winning 24 7 protection. Yeah, this is something you can definitely believe in. Because they've won all kinds of awards about being the best security. No, not the best, like, doesn't cost as much as easy to set up security. The best security, period. But it is easy to set up. You can set it up yourself in about 30 minutes. Um, it's going to come to you. Nobody's going to come to your home. No long-term contract or hidden fees, but it is great. So check it out at simplysafe.com. Use the code ARMSTRONG. You get a 60-day risk-free trial, so there's nothing to lose, and you get a free home security camera just by using that code ARMSTRONG. Go to simplysafe.com slash ARMSTRONG for that free security camera today. No randos on your porch. You don't know who it is. Uh, nobody breaking in your house while you're gone. You can actually look at them. Look them in the eye. Go to simplysafe.com slash ARMSTRONG. Is there anybody else that's like that? They wish their kids were going to church, but they aren't. <laughs> Our text line is 415-295-KFTC. Or you just you feel guilty that you're not doing it anymore. What was uh, Bob Dylan's Jesus album? Long Train Coming? Long Train Runner? I can't remember. Uh, yeah. I think he had a couple, but or, that's one, yeah. Yeah. Well, on that, uh, my favorite song from that period is Serve Somebody. Um, and and he, he goes through a long Dylan-esque list of who you might serve. Uh, the chorus is, it may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. Yep. 
and and you're going to be enthusiastic about something and the idea that it's uh, politics and politicians and everybody defines themselves and it's no longer a question of policies you find uh, more persuasive it's who you are deep in your soul these are my politics i don't think that's healthy honestly or it's you know just about money that's your god or something else um but you you know there's going to be something that you answer to that is your driving force Mm-hmm. As says this theologian quoted in the Atlantic and more going on in this uh, article, a theologian who served uh, blah, 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 20th century when the nation will blah, 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 skip all that. He's, he said this theologian that no human being could survive long without some ultimate loyalty. If that loyalty didn't derive from traditional religion, it would find expression through secular commitments such as nationalism, socialism or liberalism. In any given society, there's a relatively constant and finite supply of religious conviction. What varies is how and where it is expressed. So that, you know, 70% of people were going to church, it's now down to 50%. But those 22, those 20%, and really the rest of them, the other, you know, all the rest of, because all human beings are like built this way, like you're just saying, to serve somebody, to be into something, to have some worldview that they're, that they're married to and devout to, it's just not, uh, a God thing, you know. Boy, the religion of uh, so-called social justice, which is the opposite of justice, the religion of critical theory, that's uh, getting a lot of adherence these days, too. And it's uh, it's nasty. It's scary. Understandings of the American creed have become richer and more diverse, but also more fractious. I think we all agree on that. As the creed fragments, each side seeks to exert exclusivist claims over the other. Conservatives believe that they are faithful to the American idea and that liberals liberals are betraying it. But liberals believe, with equal certitude, that they are faithful to the American idea and that conservatives are betraying it. Without the common ground produced by a shared external enemy, as America had during the Cold War and after September 11th briefly, mutual antipathy grows and each side becomes less intelligible to the other. That's certainly true. Mm -hmm. No wonder, and I'll wrap this up, no wonder the... Antipathy means dislike. Back to you. No wonder... Why you gotta go fancy? I'm reading the freaking Atlantic. Not you. Not you. No wonder the newly ascended American ideologies have having to fill the vacuum where religion once was are so divisive. They're meant to be divisive. On the left, the woke takes religious notions such as original sin, atonement, ritual, and excommunication and repurpose them for secular ends. Excommunication is a good word for what they're doing to a lot of people. Right. And original sin. You were born white, therefore you are a racist. Adherents of wokeism see themselves as challenging the long dominant narrative that emphasized the exceptionalism of the nation's founding. Whereas religion sees the promised land as being above in God's kingdom, the utopian left sees it as being ahead in the realization of a just society here on earth. Heaven on earth, which was uh, the exact phrase from Marx. Uh, after Spring- and the title of uh, that great book about Marxism, too, right? Uh, yeah. Joshua, yeah. what's his name? Yeah, that's a great book, Heaven on Earth. Um, after Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg died in September, droves of mourners gathered outside the Supreme Court, some kneeling, some holding candles, as though they were at the Western Wall. That's absolutely true. Because they worship her left view of politics mm-hmm. the same way you would have, like, a, a saint of a different kind. Uh, on the right, adherents of a Trump-centric ethno-nationalism still drape themselves in some of the trappings of organized religion, but the result is a movement that often looks like a tent revival stripped of the Christian witness Trump played the savior and martyr. Many on the right find solace in conspiracy that tell a religious story of earthly corruption redeemed by like godlike force. That's fair. Um, it's a little broad, but it's fair. 
Unfortunately, you know the, what? the various strains of wokeism on the left and Trumpism on the right. Trumpism isn't all of the right, but we'll see how that plays out. Well, and wokeness isn't all of the left, so that's fair. Well, and there are um, plenty of Trump uh, voters who couldn't be accused of Trumpism, whatever that is, anyway. Yeah. Uh, but these two things, wokeism and Trumpism, cannot truly fill the spiritual void, the void, the God-shaped hole, as it has been called. Mm. That I think that is a really a deep, fascinating discussion. If we move away from God and, and some sort of plan for the way the world works there, what life is all about, and turn it into politics, where is that going to take us? You and know, I think that's final, what we're doing. One final thought from me, because we really need to take a break, is that uh, back in the day, I'm picturing, you know, the, the 70s, whatever, when my parents and all their friends would get together, and there was quite a mix of different faiths, and there are some people who feel the need to convert everybody who doesn't believe what they believe, but they, that's a minority. So it doesn't really matter to me if you're a Jew and you're Catholic, you're Hindu, whatever. It just, it doesn't affect me. You seem like a nice person. On the other hand, if you're forcefully advocating for policies, taxation policies, say, that i find repugnant and are going to screw me you and i can't have that well you believe this i believe that isn't that interesting the, <laughs> the, the, the palette of colors that make the world go round no you're trying to screw me right so i think that's led to a lot of the animosity these days fascinating stuff um how in the heck is digital art selling for so much money it's it's digital you can make me a copy that looks exactly like the original among other things we can talk about coming up Remember the naked Congress lady brushing her lover's hair? Yeah. There's been a court ruling in that sexy, sexy story. Have they steam cleaned that chair in the hotel room yet? (laughs) I would hope so, yes. Stay tuned. Armstrong and Getty. You're sharing your Netflix password or using somebody else's. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Oh, my. A lot of good stuff to get to. Lon Hee Chen uh, during the next segment. He's fabulous. Uh, We love him. You love him. Uh, We grabbed this joke from a year ago, virtually almost exactly a year ago. Stephen Colbert. It's clip number nine. Let's hear it. The Council on Foreign Relations has canceled a coronavirus conference because of the coronavirus. That was a surprise. Something, something of a surprise. In related news, the International Irony Festival is going ahead as planned. Best year ever. How about that? The full audience and everything laughing. And it's all just a joke. Just, uh, you know, as we all felt at the time. This is crazy, isn't it? This whole thing is crazy. Yeah. And uh, full crowd, and he didn't know, and we didn't know, and nobody knew. I'm looking up at the number. 530,000 people have died now. And obviously, every other aspect of your life turned upside down, including kids not going to school for a whole year. Absolutely amazing that we didn't didn't know what was about to hit us. That's the way life is. Kind of stumbled into it. Yeah, I mean, that is, you know, honestly, that's the way life is. I didn't anticipate going through cancer until the day I found out I had it. It never crossed my mind. So it's just the way life is. Right. What was the uh, George Will quote we we had the other day? The future has a funny way of showing up unannounced. Yeah. Do you remember uh, Katie Hill, America's sexiest congresswoman? She was hanging out with swinging with uh, gals and guys. I think that's where we first learned the word thruple, isn't it? 
Uh, Isn't well, that when Thruple weeks. came on the scene? Not when I first learned it. Oh, okay. You, 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 no, you've you been aware of Thruples for quite some time. Yeah, you know, you got that whole hiding your own Easter eggs thing. It's probably come up now and again throughout time. But anyway, so she was a swinging Thrupplist, and she uh, some, some photos came to light of her brushing her lesbian lover's hair in a hotel room. Naked sitting on the chair. To me, that's the crime. Right. Don't sit in the hotel chairs with your naked bum. Come on. I'm going to be in a towel. There's a stack of them right in the bathroom. Exactly. Icky. So she was suing to get, um, to, to take vengeance or get somebody in trouble or stop the publication of those photos. She was calling it, she'd sued, uh, calling it revenge porn. Not how they couldn't be disseminated because of laws against revenge porn. Why did she have to resign? Because that was a staffer? Yeah, that was mostly it. Yeah. But the staffer well, that, was not unhappy with her matter. Power she? dynamics, boss, employee yeah, see, I, I stuff. Hang I, don't, on I don't buy that crap. You know, honestly, if sexy, sexy congresswomen and their sexy, sexy staff want to get sexy together, exactly. I don't care, honestly, as long as nobody's victimized. But a judge says she, it's a, a lady judge, says she's inclined to dismiss the revenge porn lawsuit on First Amendment grounds. And I quote, um, the defendant has established that the images are a matter of public concern as they speak to Hill's character and qualifications for her position, position, allegedly depicting an extramarital sexual relationship with a paid campaign staff member and the use of illegal drugs by a sitting congresswoman as she was pictured in one of the pictures with a bone. Oh, you got to be kidding. You've got to be kidding. Jack, soft on illegal drug use. <laughs> it's illegal? Where? Well... Yeah, wait a minute. This Where's one, it is illegal? Picture taken? Well, uh, medicinal. Uh, my elbow hurts. Yeah, yeah. Let's fill up the bong. Wow, that's weak. Lon He Chen. We'll talk about the president's speech and other things. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Both the Democratic leader and the White House chief of staff now indicate they think President Obama's problem was that he was too bipartisan. If he was meeting us halfway, he's a he's a damn poor judge of distance. So, uh, old Kennedy getting his uh, folksy shots in. Um, uh. I, I'm I'm annoyed that one of the biggest spending sprees we've ever gone on in American history and world history. Uh, is getting so little discussion and comment. And I agree with pundits who say the Republicans did a terrible job of standing up for the other side, explaining to you know people what's in the dang thing and why they should be against it. I think because a lot of them didn't understand what was in it, or they, they realized, hey, the polling shows people want checks, so we're just going to focus on that, which is only a tiny portion of the $2 trillion thing that got signed into law yesterday. It's law now. It's over. And um, I'm I'm just I'm very unhappy about the whole thing. I I wonder I wonder if people are going to come to know what's in it. W- one of the biggest remakes of our welfare system in our nation's history. The whole tying work to welfare that Bill Clinton ushered in and Joe Biden voted for is now over. We're remaking a lot of the, of a lot a lot of the way we look at society, and nobody's paying any attention. Well, I have a number of things to say, but first let's introduce our beloved guest, Lon He Chen, David and Diane Steffi Fellow in American Public Policy Studies at the Hoover Institution and the Director of Domestic Policy Studies at Stanford University. Lon He, how are you, sir? 
Good morning, gentlemen. We understand you got in a vicious argument with somebody on cable news this morning. I don't know about a vicious argument. I just, uh, you know, gently reminded uh, the host and the audience that, you know, you've got $1.9 trillion in spending, very little conversation about what's in the bill, a constant effort to frame this as, you know, some kind of bill that's really targeted to those in need, when in fact what it is, is a, it's one of the largest pieces of spending in American history uh, for a bunch of really what are progressive wish list items disguised as a COVID relief package. I mean, that's, that's what it is. I, I think people would be a little bit less upset about it if, if folks just leveled with us every once in a while and told us, you know, actually, this is the vehicle we wanted to use to pass a bunch of policy we wouldn't have been able to pass otherwise. And that's really what this is about. I heard one pundit say that this bill is adjusted for inflation larger than all of the spending of the New Deal during the Great Depression. Have you heard that? I, I have. And let's not forget, guys, this comes on top of four trillion dollars of spending we put into the economy last year. So you've got uh, you know another 50 percent on top of the four trillion that we did last year. So, you know, I just I don't even know where to go with this anymore. We I know. So I know. Immune to it. You were just immune to it. You know, nobody really cares. And all you hear is people out there saying, yeah, spend the money, spend the money. People need it. Spend the money. Well, we were so it's funny. Your emotions seem to be similar to ours where it's just like, I don't even know where to go now. I mean, if you can if you can pass through into law one of the biggest spending bonanzas in our nation's history, and it just hardly gets any discussion at all. The sort of things like that, that welfare thing that I was just talking about, that's the sort of policy that you would think takes months, if not years, to debate in Congress and on cable news and in op-ed pieces for it to pass. And it's happened, and nobody even knows it's even in there. Well, two things. One, even during the height of the Great Recession back in 2008, 2009, Congress still debated what the recovery package should look like for months. Uh, This thing was done in a matter of weeks, maybe not even that. The second thing is, I don't think anybody would have any problem at all if you came forward and said, look, we want to do a package tailored to people who are still suffering because of covid whether because they've had COVID or they've gotten caught in one of these lockdowns or they've lost a small business. I'm, I'm totally fine with targeted assistance that looks at people who really needed it. But they went and they created essentially a giveaway program for people making up to $160,000 a year. Now, tell me how that makes any sense at all. If you had said to me, look, we're going to do a package that's targeted at the lower 30% of the income distribution, and really make sure that people who are unemployed get back on their feet, totally fine. And I think you would have gotten 30 Republican votes for that at least, maybe more. But when you go out and you basically take out a bazooka to kill an ant, this is why people get worked up about it, because it's it, it's not reasonable. What we're doing is simply not reasonable, and it's being disguised as relief, which I think is the most difficult thing of all in all of this. Right. The painful part to me is that what you're saying is is clearly true, but most of America has no idea it is happening. You know, they have used the COVID as an excuse to pat to reform American society and the relationship between the people and the government. 
financially, and, and they know exactly what they're doing. And I just think the Republican messaging is so bad, so floundering. And part of it is that, you know, Trump sucked so much of the oxygen out of the room. But you got Kevin McCarthy, who he seems like a nice enough guy, but he's just mediocre. You got Mitch McConnell, who doesn't look like the brave conservative leader who's going to take us into the future. He looks like the guy who's going to cremate my aunt. I mean, just who are, who are the exciting, <laughs> eloquent leaders? Oh, geez. Well, you know, I think um, I think there's a couple things here. First of all, I think you guys are, are you make a very good observation about Trump. And that is that because Trump was the center of attention and he did suck so much of the oxygen out of the room, there really was for the last couple of years, it was really kind of are you for Trump or are you against Trump? And we really didn't take the time to develop during that during that period a sort of a certainly on the fiscal conservative side we didn't develop a uh, a real bench of people as well as a set of arguments that could resonate with the american people and i think that's a problem also because there was some hypocrisy over the last couple of years amongst republicans too you had all these republicans stepping up ready to spend money because trump was president and 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 that quite simply you know people look at that now and even people who are skeptical about this 1.9 trillion dollar bill say well where were you guys you know, two years ago when Trump was president. And you know what? They would be right to level that argument because I, I do think the hypocrisy is what bothers people. It's, it's not so much the, the idea that you're going to stand up for fiscal conservatism. It's the idea that you only stand up for fiscal conservatism when it's politically convenient. And that, I think, is a big problem. Wanhee Chen of the Hoover Institution, Stanford University on the line. Mitch McConnell made the point on the floor the other day that that $4 trillion that we spent last year uh, in four different bills, all got like 80 votes in the Senate, 90 votes in the Senate, and 80% in the House. I mean, they were way bipartisan. So I just find that interesting on its face. But is some of this complaining like, um, you know, I'm one, I'm the losing coach here in the NCAA tournament, and I'm complaining that, and the other team, every time they got the ball, they ran down to the other end faster than us and put it in the basket. Every time we're just mad that they're yeah. better at us and beat us. I mean, the, the the other side's got the votes. They had the chance to ram it through. Would I be unhappy if my wish list got rammed through on 50 votes while nobody was paying any attention? I got all the immigration stuff and Social Security reform and all the things that my wish list all got through. Would I be unhappy about that? Probably not. Yeah, look, they didn't do anything illegal, right? I mean, they did exactly they did exactly what they had to do. They used the procedures and processes available to them because they have a majority in the House, a majority in the Senate, a functioning majority in the Senate, and they have the presidency, right? So what does that tell us? That tells us that elections have consequences. And we've talked about this before, guys. I mean, it is it is absolutely true that there are policy implications and ramifications to every election. And you're seeing it now. And so, you know, they didn't do anything untoward. They did exactly what probably politically one would have told them to do. Of course, you would have hoped that they could have gotten together with Republicans on this because everybody loves it, as I noted earlier, at some level to give away money. I am sure if they came back and said, look, we'll do a trillion dollar package. We won't do this giveaway to multi-employer unions. We won't do this giveaway of $350 billion to state and local governments who largely don't need it. The Republicans would have said, fine. We'll let you have your $1,400 checks, even if you want to give it to people who are making almost 200 grand a year. That's fine. Republicans probably would have caved on that. But they didn't even bother, right? The, the Democrats just said, look, we have the votes. We have the political 
uh, tailwind at our back. We're going to do whatever we want to do. And they use the processes to their advantage and, you know, more power to them. So we just have a couple of minutes left, Lonnie. I accidentally kind of watched the entire speech by President Biden last night, and it was <laughs> alternately, it was like, you know, day-old room temperature oatmeal interrupted by, like, biting down on a rock every minute and a half, like excruciating pain interrupting Ouch. the boredom and, and distaste. Did you happen to watch that? I did. I did. I mean, it's, it was, you know, this is, this is who, this is Joe Biden, right? I mean, it's the same kind of speech he's given, uh, you know, every other time that he's been president. It's the same speech he gave, you know, when he did set piece speeches during the campaign. It's kind of what we've come to know and expect from him. Yeah, it was just heaping helpings of mother love, which I don't need from the federal government, interrupted by half-truths and lies about opening up the schools. And then the, the long and short of it was, if you follow all the rules and you wear the masks and the rest of it, you can have three people over on July the 4th. And I'm thinking, <laughs> what the, what's, the, 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 the Texas Rangers are going to have a full stadium in two weeks. And you're telling me I can invite a couple of friends on July the 4th? F you. Well, I'm living my life. God, I hated it. Well, this is, this is the whole thing that bugs me about, about the entire kind of public health establishment is that, you know, they're giving this guidance, which is it, it's guidance that feels about like six months old, right? And mm, people, yeah. at, at that point, what do you expect people to do? Give people realistic guidance. If they've been vaccinated and they're hanging out with a bunch of other people who've been vaccinated, then it seems to me that they can pretty much do life as normal. They shouldn't be subject to all of these rules and restrictions. And in California, we see the extreme form of that, right? It's, it's, the, it's the guilting and the shaming if you don't wear a mask everywhere you go inside, even if you're hanging out with, like, people that are in your family that have all been vaccinated. So, I, you know, this is something I think this is one of those things where public health professionals really have gotten this one wrong. And unfortunately, their guidance hasn't been helpful in many cases. And, of course, the mainstream media just praised the speech. Is it somewhere between Churchill and the Gettysburg Address? Made me want to vomit. Lonnie Chen of the Hoover Institution, Stanford University. We're always uh, grateful for your perspective, Lonnie. Thanks. Hey, guys. Thank you. Great to talk. I've never heard him, because he's a he's one of those people that's just kind of always optimistic and looking forward. I've never heard him so down about something. Is that two trillion dollar bill passing with nobody paying any attention or caring what's in it? It does, you know. If you're a policy guy like him, I mean, he's the sort of guy that sits there with his sleeves rolled up late into the night, crafting policy for candidates and stuff like that. When right. you find yeah. out that, oh no, all we needed to do was have the majority, and we could have done anything we wanted, just written in, you know, make things great and ram it through. Um, that's all you needed. No, you know, no complicated <laughs> arguments. I want to frame this moment in American political history. We need to take a break, but when I come back, I am going to frame it. It's going to include a reference to Hitler, but it will not be a cheap and tawdry reference to Hitler. It will be solid. Did you say Mitch McConnell looks like the guy who's going to cremate your aunt? Yeah, he looks like an undertaker. He doesn't look like... (laughs) And his manner's that of a... Which sort of urn would best uh, contain your beloved aunt's uh, remains? I mean, that's his manner. I realize he's a genius of strategy in the Senate or whatever, but in terms of like bringing people to conservatism and rallying them and getting gung-ho, no, forget it. Please, I'll take the urn in the middle. Armstrong and Getty.
The Armstrong and Getty Show. So, is this a thing? China is worried that their young men have become too girly, while in the United States, we feel like our military is too masculine. Hmm. And we're on a collision course militarily between these two countries. That's worth talking about in hour three of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Tucker Carlson's been talking about this. Now the Pentagon is blasting back at Tucker Carlson. We'll get into all of it. Coming up, Hitler. But first... Did you have a Netflix story? Oh, yeah. Pay off oh, yeah. This is big, big, so, big. Uh, at this point in my life, I'm a guy who pays for my own Netflix account and <laughs> period. But if I were younger, I guarantee I'd be part of some set that was sharing a password mm-hmm. back in the day. Oh, yeah. The, Absolutely. And this headline is uh, the days of Netflix ignoring password sharing are over. The streaming service is testing out a bunch of new procedures. And you know how the Internet is and computers and this and that. If they really want to know, they'll come up with a way to figure it out. But anyway, they're going to start really zeroing in on that, um, borrowing uh, people's accounts, or you're using, you know, your ex-girlfriend's account, and you still use it and all that sort of stuff. Um, Those days are likely over, so you might just want to think that through in terms of your budgeting. What about uh, Disney Plus? Are they doing the same thing? Asking for a friend who's not, who's not me. <laughs> My it's guess is not. the other uh, streaming titans will see what happens with Netflix, and then if it's successful, they'll implement something I, as well. I'm uncomfortable with it because it's it's thievery. I'm uncomfortable with uh, admitting that I would do that, but I I, I gotta believe They're that thieving your data right back. Everybody's getting paid. <laughs> well, oh, no, okay. The naked city. Now you're like a buddy of mine who used to like eat fruit there at the grocery store. Ah, they're charging too much for stuff anyway. <laughs> He'd walk through popping grapes in his mouth. <laughs> wow, wow. <laughs> but I gotta believe what? when I was younger, there'd be a group of us sharing Netflix or Disney or whatever. Well, sure, and the idea that the tech giants can't tell that your iPad is at Fourth and Main, and your uh, your laptop is on East Oak Avenue—what do you got? Like a, a forty square mile house over there, chum? They know it. You know what would be interesting to me? And Netflix is super smart. I wonder they had to be aware of this, obviously. And they're a for-profit business, but maybe they thought, let's just let it spread. Let's just yeah. let it spread and get the hooks in. And it doesn't matter that there are you know six college guys on one account. Once they get hooked to Netflix. We got enough people, enough viewers, then we we clamp down. That's probably on purpose. And honestly, if somebody brought that up to me at a board meeting, I probably would have been against it at first. But then it also occurs to me a lot of the people doing that sharing are young people, low-income people, who will soon be slightly less young, higher-income people. Right. Yeah, that's why I don't steal one now. I can afford not to. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I should tell my story about when I had free cable for a while. That's a good one. Maybe I'll tell you about it later. All right, all right, fabulous. But first, Hitler. Uh, so we're talking at length with Lon He Chen, the fabulous Lon He Chen of the Hoover Institution, Stanford University, about the $1.9 trillion reformation of American society. It is a blockbuster change to the very nature of governance in the United States. And nobody knows it, nobody's talking about it. Um, and... The amount of money involved is mind-boggling, and we're borrowing it against our, our children, grandchildren at incredibly low interest rates, which cannot possibly last, which means our borrowing cost is going to skyrocket in the future. And it just reminded me, I spent a lot of my high school and college years, and actually postgraduate too, studying 20th century Germany. And, you know, people uh, give me a hard time for my ridiculously... Can you go to these meetings? 
no. out in the country. There are no meetings. And you study no, no. early 20th century no. Germany, do you? Nazi Germany. <laughs> Merely because I have a <clears throat> disturbingly com- complete collection of books about the Third Reich. Uh, people like to make jokes about my interest in it, but I actually have a historian's interest in it. And what what led to hitler and you probably learned this in high school at least you know briefly was that post ww1 germany crippled by the terrible treaty of versailles the weimar republic had hyperinflation they they tried to get out of it by printing money instead of doing some of the harder things that might have stopped their slide and it strikes me that this giant 2 trillion dollars on top of the previous 4 trillion dollars um, is the sort of thing that in the future people will just gloss over. Oh, yeah. They'll no say, doubt. And then an era of fiscal irresponsibility, which was unprecedented, led to the rise of, you know, the Jones cult, which quickly won governorships over blah, blah. And all of a sudden we got a dictator named Jones, and they'll barely even give a sentence to the way we're spending money right now and sure. the hyperinflation it could bring. Yeah. Because it's boring. Nobody wants to talk about it. They just want to talk about Jones and his rallies and his Sig Heil Jones and his funny mustache and the rest of it. Uh, but anyway, that's enough. Nobody cares. No, I'm lecturing you on why you should care. You don't care. I'm like, Do you care? No, we don't care. Oh, you don't care. Okay, I can accept that. In hour three, um, China's getting more masculine. We're getting less in our military, perhaps. Tucker Carlson says so, and now he's getting... Attacked by the Pentagon for saying so. Fellas, I want you to check your sperm count during the commercials. How do you do that? And and get back to us. Do I need a microscope? (laughs) Think about it. Armstrong and Getty.